But uh, yes, uh, self-help books, that's that was the difference maker for me because we grow up often in negative settings or hearing no, no, no all of our lives. And you got to break out from that. It's a, an individual journey. It's you won't get it from your peers or your counterparts. You've got to break out on your own uh, and make it happen. And anybody that did anything in life that was significant has probably broke away from the pack and tried to do it. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode 120. Clark, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Doing great, man. What's uh, what's going on in your world? It's been cold up here. It's been cold. Well, your wife told us not to talk about the weather anymore, so... <laughs> it's like people don't want people don't want to hear about that. You know, it's funny you, we mentioned the weather, right? Like when I was a kid, I used to never think much about it. And then, you know, when you lived in Bulgaria and I did too, and as like one of the first things that everybody always talked about, it was always hot, too cold, too hot everywhere. And now you know, we end up talking, but it really does affect your daily life a lot, you know? Well, I know you asked me what's going on. It's like February 7th, you know, it's cold as can be. What else is going on? I mean, it's not like I'm going outside and doing anything. Yeah, no kidding. It's like, okay, we're in the middle of the NBA season and college basketball. We're getting March Madness coming up soon. Totally. Yeah. And that's about it, right? Like we both yeah. of us went skiing this year. We're done with that. Yeah. So. so, so NBA, it's crazy, right? This Kobe stuff. I know we're about what a week, we're a week or two, two removed weeks, now yeah. from it. But, you know, I, I was randomly just checking online the day of their first home game. I think it was against Portland, right? It was, they canceled that Tuesday night game against the Clippers. And then yep. the first home game at Staples was that Friday. And tickets, when I first looked them up, were like the cheapest seat at Staples Center was $720. Oh, wow. And then when I looked the next day, it had dropped to 650, but still pretty crazy. I mean, understandably so, right? Yeah. Obviously, it was the, it was the big tribute and, and such to him, but pretty crazy. I mean, I, I think, I think that whole thing of affected a lot of people. You know, I, I don't yeah. think we've talked, we, we haven't talked about it specifically, but I've talked with other friends and, you know, I think, I think on this show, a lot of times and lately we've been asking what is happiness to you right what does it mean to be fulfilled what's most important in your life if money wasn't a question how would you spend your time you know what is financial freedom worth to you blah 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 and i th- i think this kobe thing kind of made people look inside a little bit and say okay a how do i want to spend my time right am i doing what i i should be doing and, and b am i prioritizing things right right if family is the most important and I say family is the most important, am I really living my life in a way that, that my actions are portrayed that, right? Yeah, totally. And I think you bring up an interesting point. And I know, you know, we just recorded a, a recent episode, probably won't release for, for several more weeks probably. But, you know, we got in a very deep discussion about that very topic and we didn't bring up, you know, the Kobe situation. But it just goes to show, you know, I think sometimes it's – and I think especially for him and – very prominent athletes in general or, or celebrities that sometimes they might seem somewhat invincible, right? And, and you know, Kobe was so young and had, to, at least to most of our knowledge, no health issues, right? So, you know, somebody has cancer, it's like we know there's a potential there, but this was such a catastrophic accident that, you know, I think a lot of people were, I, I personally, I mean, I grew up watching him and 
And, you know, I was personally shook a little bit at first. I was like, there's no way. Like, seriously? Like, it can't be true. You know, TMZ reports it. My buddy texted me and I was like, no way. Like, I just didn't want to believe it at first. Right. Right. Did you see the clip of Shaq when he first found yeah. it? Well, it wasn't a clip, but hit him story. You know, he said like a nephew came up to him and he was like, get that out of my face. Yeah. Because he thought he thought they had just made it up. But yeah, anyway, it's just I don't know. It's caused me and I'm sure a lot of other people obviously never knew him or whatever. But it just it just makes you think, right? Here's somebody that has all the money all the fame he's done. You know, he could do anything he wanted. He had raised a $100 million fund. He was starting to do all these charities. He was a champion for women's rights and pushing his daughters and, you know, all these different things. And and then you have a, a freak accident like that. And, you know, it just, it kind of makes you look inside a little bit and, and make sure you're doing all that you want to do. And I don't know if there's ever a time that you're really always comfortable, right? I mean, we always talk about, hey, am I prioritizing things right? Am I, you know, should I be doing more of this or less of that? And that probably continues realistically if you're a high achiever your whole life, right? You kind of look back and say, maybe I should have started this earlier or maybe I should be doing this now instead. And I think it's just kind of a constant battle to try and find that balance. At least for me, it is. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think you got you to really just, one, you can't always just live for tomorrow, right? Like you've got to have a little bit of a live for today, learn from the past, live for today, look forward in the future and and plan for that. But Sometimes in the conversations we get caught up with people, whether it's fire movement or financial independent or whatever it might be, there's so much play of like getting to the future, of like getting to this mark, getting to this point. We always try to ask our guests that, like, what's the plan for, you know, where do you go from here? And I think it's easy for a lot of us sometimes to get caught up in trying to like delay that gratification, delay all these different things. And sometimes we might forget to really place and live in that moment. And create those memories or do those things now, you know, because we're so focused on on what the future might hold. Totally. And and where you want to get to and you think, okay, in 10 years, I'll become a millionaire. I'll have a net worth of two or I'll be able to retire. Or I'll have passive income of X, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that's at least it's caused me to kind of just say, look, like, that's great. Obviously, you still want goals. Obviously, you still want the passive income. Obviously, you still want to get to a certain net worth or have money or be able to live life on your terms a little bit. But I think it's caused me to just enjoy the ride a little bit more to try to totally. you know, just just in case, just in case. But yeah, and I, you can't I gotta, you can't just stop. You know that doesn't make sense for either. Sure, for you can't sure. just go blow all your money. So, and I, I you know I got to pay you a compliment. I is you know we had these conversations and you just came up to the plate and said, "Man, we're taking you guys on a cruise with us." I said, "Thank you, Clark. Man, that's awesome. I can't wait to go with you." <laughs> Uh, I didn't say that, but yeah. <laughs> Moneybags Clark. Anyway, all right, man. Today we got, we've got we got Sam on our show. He's got a net worth of almost $7 bucks. He's retired from his work as a civil engineer. In fact, I think he might be our first civil engineer on the show. We've had a few other engineers, but he, I think he might be the first civil engineer. He owns several renters, rentals and has seen extensive growth in his stock portfolio. Provides a unique insight on looking back over his life and providing some great financial advice. And, you know, it's crazy... We're bringing Sam on. He's got one of the higher net worths of somebody. He's also on on the higher age scale. But God, man, the guy, you know, he talks about his income and it wasn't like he, you know, had an income in, you know, 500 or a million dollar range to build this net worth that he's done. So it's quite a phenomenal story. I don't think he ever made over, didn't he mention he never made over 80? I think it's something like that. Or 100. Yeah, close to six six figures-ish, somewhere in that range. Yeah. 
Yeah, but. for anybody listening to this, if, I think it's a longer episode. So if, if you're going to skip through it, at least go through the end. I think he shares some really great advice at the end. Totally. You know, and and he grew his, you know, his net worth was, I don't want to say low. I think he had a million dollars until 2008, 2009, and then it, or something like that, 1.5 maybe, and then it just spiked. Yeah. And so the end of this conversation, if you're going to skip through, is is really, really interesting. So just if, if you do skip, just listen to that last segment. Totally. You know, in the last week's we had uh, episode, we had Alex. He had a current net worth of uh, 140k at 24 years old. Very unique lifestyle, which included living and servicing a yacht. Uh, he saves about 80 to 90 percent of his money. So, for for those younger listeners that, that keep writing into us, go check out that episode. So, episode 119. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, feel free to reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll jump on a call with you to discuss the opportunities and strategy. Just want to say thank you to all those who have reached out to us, whether it's been interest in investment opportunities or to be on the show. You know, Clark, our guests are phenomenal and we appreciate every single one of them that's gone on and, and shared their story. It really helps all of us out. And we continue more and more to receive emails from, from listeners week after week and day after day, thanking us and thanking our listeners, uh, and our, and our guests for being a part of the show. So once again, if you'd like to share your financial story, millionaire financial story, uh, you know, our goal is to get a broad list of guests and stories and professions. And if you're close to becoming a millionaire, millionaire status, please reach out to us. Once again, our email is at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We appreciate you tuning in to the show week after week. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate a, a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It continues to help us grow the show and reach new millionaire, millionaire interviewees. So without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Sam. Sam, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to today? Certainly. Background, uh, Clark and Jace. The, uh, my background was college, civil engineering, West Virginia University. Uh, I got out of there around 21 and then went into work. Uh, my career started around 25 uh, and I was there with my employer for roughly 30 years and got out at 56. That was my career background. My personal background, I bought my first property when I was about 29 and it was a, a little a house that was broken up into apartments. And that began my foray into real estate. And it was a handyman special. It was had some individuals living in it, but I was finding myself working. I had been surveying property on the side, but I hung up my transit to take care of property. I, I became a, a real estate guy. And, and then a few months later, I bought a duplex a few blocks away. I had a real estate license. This was back in the 19... 1989, 1990, and I acquired a duplex. And that was uh, something that I just did on my own behalf. I have a sister in Buffalo, New York, uh, and she's a few years older than me. I'm 60, and my parents, um, uh, they're deceased. And so it was just a small family. And uh, we grew up in a middle-class environment here in uh, Northwest Virginia. And then I took off for the city in Pittsburgh. So that's a little background in, in the real estate. I accrued more properties over time. Uh, a lot has to be said about how you grow inside and mentally and personally. And, and that's found with, back then it was cassettes and self-help books. And we can talk about that at some point, Jason Clark. But that's really what evolved and changed me into becoming and seeking financial independence and getting there um, through self-help materials and hard work and good old American diligence and Yankee ingenuity, you might say, et cetera. So that's, that's a little bit of background about me. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and what's your net worth today? 
net worth 6.7 mil liquid. Yeah, and how is that kind of divided in terms of your, what, what you consider your liquid net worth? Is that invested in the market? Is that all in cash? Great question. Uh, never cash per se, although I do have roughly, I'll say 5 or 8% on the side in cash that I call dry powder. But that is uh, broken up into um, mostly with uh, a, a large mutual fund company or ETF company now, if you will. And, and uh, across the board, I buy their ETFs. I used to start out in mutual funds and I began in mutual funds in the mid 80s. So that's roughly 35 years ago. And those, um, and I still hold those and they've accrued and, and we can talk about tax efficiency and tax inefficiency. I know them both well. And uh, but that's all in in U.S. stock equities, practically Um, not much big on international because large cap funds typically have plenty of international exposure, such as your Johnson and Johnson, your any large your your Microsofts, any big cap U.S. company has gets the majority of its revenue overseas, uh, I believe. So I'm um, mostly U.S. equities, stocks, mutual funds. I'm not individual stocks I like and I acquire a taste for that. And I, I will give to your listeners a tip. Investors Business Daily is really where I started cutting my teeth through the charts and the uh, terminology. But all that is broken into um, those equities. Um, I don't count real estate, although many do. And it's uh, a lot of people differ with that. Real estate does count as an asset. And it, it is, but it's illiquid. So I just look at liquidity and, and how monies can be. But I'd say the bulk uh, is, is in U.S. equities with large mutual fund companies. And has that always been the case with with the the liquid portfolio that you have? Yes, and that's that's a great question. Uh, since I was in my mid twenties, and that was thirty five years ago, I would always take a hundred dollars or whatever I could make on a side hustle. Now, back then, it was called moonlighting, Jason Clark, and now it's called gigs and side hustles. But <laughs> it's amazing how the terminology <laughs> changes, but it's the same stuff, right? The same stuff. It's all about hard work can, and diligence, right? and it's not what you it's what you keep. And and so my side hustles, uh, I call bread and butter was your daytime job, still. And then side hustles was what you did when you when you got out the door. And uh, in my case, it would be surveying property, or it might be um, labor work or um, tutoring. I recall, you know, I would tutor, but I've tried a lot of things. And the book The Millionaire Next Door talks about that in in some degree where most successful people did a lot of gigs on the side to get there, and they failed a lot. Uh, and, and I've had my share of being jilted and terminated, et cetera, growing up uh, also. But uh, uh, IQ, or not IQ, but GPA was, was average in college. I didn't set the world on fire, but I certainly built good, steady work habits and, and uh, study ethics, if you could say that. But I like to have a good time. As I like to tell people, I went to West Virginia University, so I know about a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little bit of background there. But yeah, um, it was always working second jobs to get ahead, uh, moonlighting, your bread and butter job, uh, staying out, of, keeping overhead down. Uh, good debt is mortgage debt or a car debt, you could say. But I think uh, in my intake to you, I was driving, my first 20,000 was in, I recall, driving a 1984 Ford Escort, if you've heard of those. And I that was $20,000. And and I felt good. <laughs> I think wow. I'm probably 27 or eight years old. Wow. So, Sam, there's so much to jump in here. And, mm. and 
Lots to ask here, but first, your net worth six point seven. You say that's liquid investment. So, what do you not include with that? Some of that's uh, some not uh, included is real estate, right? Yes, I have about a half a dozen properties, seven exactly, that I've owned long term. I'm not a flipper, but I do know a lot about maintenance. And these houses can be anywhere from a hundred years old to a twenty years old, with the average I'll be saying is sixty or seventy years old. In this part of the country, Pittsburgh is an old town. It's a great town. And um, this part of northern West Virginia is, is certainly well established. And the homes are, uh, you know, I grew up in a house that was built in 1960 by my dad. So I've held that and purchased it from my sister uh, wow. when she inherited it. And I, it's sentimental. And yeah. uh, that means a lot. And the houses on each side are was built by my father. And uh, I got it through a bank sale, the other one that was distressed. And those were built in the 1970 and 1955. So in other words, property, but none of the, like a lot of your listeners probably have nice stuff on the coastline that's newer, condos, et cetera, never went that way. Although I I am going down to Florida frequently and just before I contacted you, I was looking at property in Florida to think about. But the, the old saying with real estate that I like is to drive by your property once a day. Now, that's not always possible, but certainly to drive by it frequently. And uh, that way you can keep tabs on it. I, I don't have property management uh, at this point in life, but that's yeah, just real estate only, Jason Clark. So those seven properties uh, you just mentioned, a couple of them are single-family homes. It, Correct. Are they all single-family, or do you have a couple? Good question. Duplexes yeah, one well? duplex. One duplex. My first property was a four-unit. Uh, where in the war in Pittsburgh and your northeastern cities, perhaps Clark, I think, is from New York City. He he would appreciate this. Yeah. Uh, homes were broken up into units. For families to move into. I'd heard this. I never knew this till I got to Pittsburgh and I was in an older stock, old stock section. And so it's not unusual to find homes that are carved up into units, the bedrooms, uh, little kitchenettes on the second floor and the main floor uh, having uh, two units. That's what I had. I had a four unit, but it was a single family home in a single family neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did slip by the zoning and all way back. It was grandfathered, but that's from World War II, I believe. And, so on. So wow. yeah, that was a four unit in the duplex, which was a, a, a decent duplex. I still hold that. It's probably built in the early 1900s and, and so on. And then the rest are single family homes, Jason Clark. So you said you bought these, you, you said you acquired your first one several years ago, right? Or uh, right, right after you third, started working? Yeah, 1990. I started in 85 and I rented and I took a, I took a job, uh, Hurricane Hugo, Charleston, South Carolina. They got whacked good with 1985. And suddenly I found myself getting a lot of overtime. And then suddenly I saw myself looking at how much taxes I owed the IRS because I had no write-offs. And that began my quest for my first property. Mm-hmm. And that changed my my focus around from working on the side with surveying property, doing engineering type things after work. I worked as an engineer during the day. And then I would, a lot, and a key to listeners is start out when you're, you know, 15 or so and in, into a into anything you can find, but just start working and you'll pick up your hobbies. Or I follow my dad for a certain extent, even though we fussed a lot with each other, but that's where I got the surveying. <laughs> and then I could go on and, and uh, work for other surveyors in Pittsburgh. And, and uh, that's, that's got me started and, and uh, invest the money promptly. And then when the write-off idea came along, I couldn't do it all. I had to drop the prop, the survey property because a lot of that got into litigation and fussing with squabbling over property lines. And, um, I could see where my dad was going into magistrate court more than I cared to go. And I didn't want that life of fussing and all that. So I chose real estate more so and getting the write-offs and 
to this day, I still do my taxes and learned a lot and use tax software. And that's the key too to your listeners is is uh, knowing your taxes. It's more about defense now, Jason Clark, than it is offense. And so, yep. what, are, are you done buying uh, investment properties, yeah, or question. when's the, when's the last to, one you bought? What, what year did uh, you buy? The last your one most I bought, recent? I just bought one in uh, 18, 2018 with my girlfriend, and it was it was beautiful. Um, that is, she she's beautiful, but uh, she lived in one part of town. I lived in another. We'd always go back and forth, and it had been seven, eight years past of doing that. And we said, well, let's get under one roof. And that brought us to this nice, beautiful neighborhood on the cul-de-sac, a 20-year-old house in an HOA. And there was a lot of buyers, and we won the bidding war. This was just a couple of years ago. As you know, the real estate market was really hot. Uh, still is, but boy, there was a point there where you had three bidders on one house. And, and I bought it, and I won it. But boy, I just went to property appeals at the county level last fall, and that kind of blindsided me. But that's another story. So, yeah, that's a 20-year-old house, and I am done unless something – and there's a saying that applies to all your listeners and to you guys, until something better comes along. Uh, I will keep investing in the market until something better comes along. Um, But uh, real estate is work, W-O-R-K, if you're a Mm do-it-yourselfer, and that's really the way to make profit, I think. But there's a lot of smarter guys than me who can buy multi-unit apartments or own 100 units, et cetera, and I'm not that well-coordinated and and connected with that kind of now's the time it's all about free time um and i want to throw out to your listeners and jason clark i i got into toastmasters international for six years have you heard of it i have not J- i have which jace one has, has jace? clark hasn't jace has clark has not jason and that's for all the young professionals out there uh if you want to improve your speaking skills get into it they meet on lunchtime it's non it's volunteer it's non-profit and I had six years of that. I mention all that because that's one way to sharpen your speaking skills and to think on your feet, as well as to encourage young people to pursue STEM. If you're a young person out there looking at school, going to school, et cetera, getting into college or even, you know, just fresh out of just keep on focusing on math because you can't beat running numbers through your head when you're trying to do real estate calculations on the fly and, uh, and so on. So, uh, but Toastmasters International, I had six years solid of that and I got a lot out of it. Um, everything from eye contact to gestures to speaking on your feet and so on. I, and if anybody out there knows it, you're talking to a past district governor, which put about a thousand people under my watch for her uh, back in the um, late 90s and so on. But it's a good thing. But uh, now I just, it's all about free time, gentlemen. I remember doing that and it was like a vacuum. It would just continue to to suck you in the more you put into volunteer efforts and you want to get a return on your time. And so I said, no more of that. Um, got to take care of my mother and uh, move on and, and uh, take care of the properties and, and just enjoy your free time or make free time is the key. It's all about saying no, as you probably know. Yeah. Financial, financial freedom. You know, I'm looking in front of me at just a little quote. It says the ability to do what you want, where you want, when you want, how you want and with whom you want. So that's, that's you. That's well put. Yes. Yeah. To travel. And everybody likes to travel. And uh, and that gives you the free time. Please continue. I'm I'm listening away. Yeah. So so these rental properties, are they all are they all rented out or some of these homes that have been in your family for a while? Maybe you've held on to them, but or have not rented mm-hmm. them out rather. But how much in, in rental income are you making? Them Good on? question. The goal is always to have income coming in on your properties and no, never to sit stagnant. Then one would argue 
multi-units do a better job than single-family homes because you've always got a bond on your properties. And I like that, but the majority are single families in the, in the, the way they were acquired and the circumstances that they were acquired. So uh, the duplex is a moneymaker. It's probably, I, um, I need to put a new roof on it. I'm going to study my taxes and see if, if I could justify selling it. Uh, Schedule E is the real estate schedule for the 1040, and, and everybody that has property knows a little bit about that that's renting property or has income. <clears throat> and the write-offs are precious, but darn it, they haven't raised the write-off amount of 25K for 30 years, or there's just no special interest out there to get that jacked up. So um, you get a point where you hit saturation, where you don't get any benefits of owning more property from a, a real a, a write-off or defense standpoint. So it's all about making money. So yeah, the goal is to always keep them rented. Do I have them all rented? Uh, short end, uh, one house that uh, some tenants uh, trashed it a while back, and I'm doing most of it myself. It's hard to find helpers in, in this area. In other words, you know, there's not a lot of young workers or contractors um, that um, you can find or that are you know in your price range or timely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, keep them all rented. I think we lost you there. You just cut out for a sec. I just want to make sure that we that we get it. Um, you yeah. said you, you try to rent them all out. They're not always mm-hmm. rented, but if if they are, how much how much in total rental income is that? For I'll say my rent roll on a monthly basis, and and this isn't going to be too impressive to some of the high cost of living areas, but I like to see seven k uh, in that vicinity for my properties. Now, if I have a tenant that's been there for year after year after year, I don't usually raise the rent because. I'm a one uh, one trick pony. I do it myself. Uh, in other words, I do everything. So to have somebody stable, that means more to me than than making another five or ten percent or jacking up rents. If a tenant's good to me, I'll I'll keep the rent stable. Um, and, and property taxes do eat at the margin and so on. But um, how much? I'd say around seven k. Which shoot, that's probably one month's rent for for New York City. No, no, no. Uh, Clark, that's, that's, but, a lot uh, when, that's a lot when you have no you have no mortgage on any of these either, right? That's correct. That, that's correct. All paid off, yeah. And it's and it's all about income streams. If there's one point I could stress uh, to all your listeners and to you fellas, it's look for multiple streams of income if you can, uh, as best you can. And, and real estate is the ultimate income stream if you hold it long term. Uh, some guys are good at flipping and, and uh, that's a good thing, but it's I got I'll, I'll put on twenty five thousand miles on my vehicles just driving from Pennsylvania to West Virginia, Central West Virginia, Northern West Virginia, Western Pennsylvania, etc. So that adds up. Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning when you were giving your introduction that something that really helped you out was the self help stuff, right? Yes. And yes. and I, I'm thinking of a quote by Jim Rohn where he said, "Your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development." Because mm-hmm. success is something you attract by the person you become, right? I like that. That's Jim Ron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's correct. good. So uh, my, I cut my teeth on Brian Tracy, who was a contemporary of, of Jim James Ron. They were good friends. But uh, yes, uh, self-help books is really, that's the, the, the anchor of all of those trying to get ahead. If that's, that was a difference maker for me, because we grow up often in negative settings or hearing no, no, no all of our lives, and you got to break out from that. It's a, an individual journey. It's You won't get it from your peers or your counterparts. You've got to break out on your own uh, and make it happen. And anybody that did anything in life that was significant has probably broke away from the pack and tried to do it. And it is a lonely journey uh, at times, but uh, the key now is to enjoy your friends and be social. But yeah, self-help books, 
to, and to be around like-minded people who enjoy self-help books and can receive those with you. Like you guys, you know, you and I can enjoy them and discuss them. It's not often you find a lot of people that can talk about self-help books unless you're in like-minded company. It's definitely a challenge sometimes to find that, that, that kind of tribe, if you will, to, to yes. get around those type of people and, and get around that mindset. That's Sam, correct. I, I kind of want to like dive a little bit into the, to the real estate mindset you've done and acquired all these properties. When right. you were buying property, would you typically put 20% down, finance the good. rest over 30 years or what kind of was yeah, your good kind of question. bread and butter? Good question. I recall a VA loan that I was able to get at 5%. That was my first property. So that was two or three grand, et cetera. And um, that, I got in the door that way with property number one. Property number two, I remember going all over the, you know, inquiring. Uh, this was back in the late, early 90s. And uh, I went to Dreyfus Mortgage. Dreyfus was a mutual fund company. And I found mortgage interest there. And, and so I would fill out all the paperwork. And this was not, there was no internet then. And you would um, you would do it all by snail mail and longhand and phone and get it all going. So getting mortgages, typically it, always looking for the best terms. Like even now I'm looking to refinance and uh, I'm not uh, finding much better than what I have presently. So yeah, the mortgage, the 20% wasn't pushed until that darn crisis occurred in 07 and 08 when the Everybody and their grandmother or anybody that had a pulse could get a mortgage and buy a timeshare or a condo, I should say. And that's what the you had a lot of bad actors in the mortgage industry that uh, created that 20% law now, if you will. It's my opinion. So just always look for the best terms and keep good credit. And chances are you'll find something better than 20%. But I haven't went out and got a mortgage. I did a couple years ago and I, I put down half 50% on equity on the house. So that that gave me a, a lot of leverage. And I think I got my interest rate at 4.7. So there was no 20% rule. Hell, I put 50% down at that point because I just wanted the mortgage for the balance of the mortgage for tax write-offs. Some would argue that's not the way to go and they're probably right. But I did want write-offs for Schedule A on the taxes because with the new Trump laws, uh, it's they took away so many good write-offs. But yeah, I think for young people starting out, it's a 20% uh, unless... But where there's a will, there's a way. And if you want it bad enough, it'll happen. But the key is, is, uh, is the location not to buy, a, not to pour, pour money in a rat hole. It's got to be generating dollars and your numbers should be break even right away and then deal with the mortgage. But the numbers, the income, the dollars coming in on a monthly basis, not necessarily a fixer upper that has no money coming in right away because it'll sit there for a year before you see a buck coming in or a half a year. So that's the idea of getting multi-units, something that's generating money right away, and then get the mortgage second to you know take make the bank happy and do what they want, but don't get bent over a barrel either, uh, because chances are you'll want to turn it or sell it in a few years. I I held mine and still do hold my properties long term, and and that's just the way my thinking is. I'm more conservative and uh, that sort of thing, but uh, a lot of guys out there do quite well flipping and. And my girlfriend loves those those house shows where they they fix them up and flip them. We like those. Yeah, but, would you uh, ever pay any of those off early? Uh, good question. Short answer: Yes, I would always throw extra money at the principal and get that thirty year mortgage. And you did ask that. Uh, it was typically thirty year. I wanted a lower monthly payment versus fifteen year. So I would always throw extra dollars at the principal each month and get it paid off in fifteen years, approximately. 
So you, typically, you were never using the cash flow from the rentals to actually live on. You're still using that from your job and then just using the rentals to kind of spiral your wealth. Very good. Precisely. Yeah. The, 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 the job is bread and butter. You need that to build your 401k and a financial foundation to truly become financial independent. But the uh, second income stream, such as the real estate, uh, that that makes the difference. There's nothing better than that uh, uh, type of income if you're if you're cut out to be a landlord. But uh, yeah, bread and butter job and and invest, invest, invest. And we'll see down years. Uh, I've seen three hard. I saw 1987, uh, 02, 2002. Those are tough times. 2002 was worse than 07-09. But my uh, focus was always on the U.S. stock market and mutual funds and equities uh, and ETFs now, but uh, real estate certainly. And I and a lot of guys out there uh, I read on Facebook, they do better with real estate, making their 100,000% returns. But I've always found that um, it's nicer to go with the stock market and have real estate as my complimentary income stream. But continue on, gentlemen. Hopefully I'm answering your question. I, no, I like is, the 30-year mortgage. And, this this mm-hmm. is great. And, mm-hmm. and I'm curious you know, rewinding over the last 30 years, you've been investing in real estate and in the market. If you went back in time, would you do anything differently? Than- That's a great question. You've got a hell of a good script back there. I, I, I shouldn't use that <laughs> word, but you've got a heck of a good script back there. And it's a good script. And and, I, and you guys are polished at this because I've heard a lot of your earlier podcasts and, and they're good. What would I do differently? Great question. Uh, real estate is hard. Like right now, I'm dealing with a, a tenant that's not um, uh, not working out greatly. But that's I've been there through that for 30 years and I've heard it all, all the excuses, et cetera. So but you got to be cut out for it. Property management would take a lot of the headaches away, but that's a 10 percent cut in your profits. Uh, But what would I do differently? I think what um, and that's a great to work backwards. What what did I do correctly? I would you got to invest in the in the markets, as as I've said many times already. Sorry about that. But that's just a fact. And and success is, is redundancy and simple. It's not complicated. Or sophisticated successes, uh, financial success. <clears throat> what would I do differently? I I would say no more often because I was a nice guy, still am, and I would often try to appease those around me. And that's where the Toastmasters came in. You're trying to make everybody happy to some degree by what the words you're saying, but uh, you got to say no. But on the other hand, it's good to to think out things, not rush or make snap decisions. I always say sleep on it. So never make an impulse decision. Vehicles is a key question. The, the two greatest things we spend money on in our life is the house or the properties and the vehicles. Uh, the toys and the frills, there's a saying I like, the difference between a man and a boy is the size of his toy. <laughs> and that means that you don't need to go buy the boats or all the frills, uh, particularly when you're young, because those dollars could easily compound. And the law of compounding and the law of the, the rule of 72 is key here for your listeners. You got to know those. I don't think I can say anything I do differently. It was just, it's very hard, very hard to get financially independent and using, getting used to saying no, never argue if I could have any regrets and, and pick your friends, particularly when you're super young. If I could go back and change something, I probably would have been involved in some other activities. I played sports. I, I played a trumpet in the band. But um, on the other hand, those in the 70s, there were things that kind of diverted you from those. And I'll let you guys figure that out. And I would probably be a little more astute than my <laughs> peers. And uh, college was great, but WVU was even greater. I uh, had a good time, football games and all that. And, and it was it was wonderful. But uh, study, I developed good study habits. But um, 
what would I do differently? Probably we'll come back to that because I'm stumbling. Because yeah, no, <laughs> I could do, I could I say mean, everything. Tough, right? I asked you to, I asked you to go back 30 years and figure out, you know, what would yeah. change. But I just wonder uh, you know, get, talk to people oh. as successful as you, and I and I wonder, you know, if there was a point in time where it's like, you know what, I wish I would have oh, been more heavy in real estate, got, or I would have done this. Deal Jason Clark, I've got the the answer. I tell young people nowadays always. And I say to young people, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. And somebody clarified that once and said, Bi- biologic, biology or some, some medical field. But STEM is the way to go if you're young and you're wanting to pursue college. Otherwise, go into welding, go into vocations, go into trades, go into electrical, etc. Go into a contractor's or trades because you can start out making 70 or 80K at 23 years old and then your overtime on top of that. And your travel time if you want to weld or if you want to travel. So science, technology, engineering, and math, I would, whereas going into soft degrees, you're just going to hit the unemployment line and have a subpar class of living, submiddle class, by going into the teaching, by going into the political science, by going into degrees that I just don't get. Law is not impressive to me. Uh, there's, but uh, anything, because we got to keep up with China. They're going to eat our lunch. But we'll we'll hold our own. We'll do okay. Uh, but that's that's where it is. China and India. What are they excelling in? Well, they all go into those fields. And I would encourage listeners to really look at because it helps in real estate, uh, running numbers through your head. It helps in engineering or or your job, your business. Business is a good field. And I like finance and accounting. Uh, and there is a demand for uh, good American prospects in these fields with companies. But um, that's what I would tell young people to do, not to go into anything less than a hard degree or definitely go into a trade or vocation. Academics isn't as impressive as it used to be. So, but fortunately, when I got into college, engineering was a good place to be. So I wanted to elaborate on that, Jason Clark. So please continue. I'm listening. Yeah. So, Sam, at this point, you've built a great network. You're financially independent. You've got great passive income coming from your real estate. Where do you kind of go from here? I mean, you're still relatively <laughs> young. Yes. Do you have a net worth yeah, you, goal thank you're you. climbing to, or what are you trying to, to, to achieve great, at this point? Great point. There's no more mountains to climb, and there's all, there is always mountains to climb, but I spend a lot of time with the girlfriend, and we've got two great dogs. One's a Bouvier, which is out of France, and the other's a little Corgi, and I love those guys, and we have a Riley the cat. So I inherited these with a girlfriend, and uh, she and I will get married soon or one day, but we could talk about being single or marrying. And I I must say, and I didn't think of it until now, but I've often stressed this. If you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. Divorce will kill a man's finances in the future. Perhaps you guys can know that, but where do I go from now? I I like to travel. Just got back from Florida and um, had a good time at Fort Myers. And we'll, we'll probably go back next month if she can get time off. She works uh, in the hospital. Nursing's a great field to be into. I wouldn't discourage that for for people um, in the medical field. But uh, where do we go? I'm just keeping up the pro. It's all about maintenance, Jason Clark. I've got to maintain those properties. That's I'm at my second house down here in West Virginia, and uh, I'll work next door tomorrow with the tenant and. Then I may go out to the other property. It's an hour away. There's a couple side by side. And the idea there, they're all clustered. The properties are clustered together. I wouldn't dare fly across the country to look after a, a, a property that I own. Many do. Uh, however, Florida is starting to look interesting to me at this point. 
but it's all about enjoying your free time. And I got that from Toastmasters, where they would take every minute of my time, respectfully, but you had to cut it off. You had to enjoy your own life and not just be at someone else's beck and call. So enjoying free time. I, I work every morning. You've got to write your goals down. And this goes back to my uh, comment on Brian Tracy. He's in the Jim Rohn category of self-help material. The first book I bought, incidentally, was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill from the 1930s. He interviewed Andrew Carnegie, who sent him to see the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts, the Edisons, the Fords, and all that. And uh, he got all his secrets. So that was the grandfather of self-help books, is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And then The Magic of Believing. The Millionaire Next Door is what I tell everybody to get now. And then his daughter has The Millionaire Next Door, which is good also. But The Millionaire Next Door was a New York Times bestseller, as you know. And that is one for everybody's library. But I'm just enjoying my free time. And that's the key. I don't really want to volunteer. I'm visiting a gentleman in the uh, elderly nursing home, as we call it, um, who's a friend of uh, Janet's, my girlfriend. And I, I, you get a perspective of life when you're 85. That's 25 years from now for me. And you see things from a whole different world when you're when you're there and you're on the last chapter. And you, you can see what – there's nothing better than being able to look from the rearview mirror back and see what things are like. That's perspective. That's wisdom. From a Christian perspective, your listeners should listen, read Proverbs and um, Ecclesiastes, etc. Uh, those are great. Those are Old Testament as well. But um, that's the Christian perspective or from a spiritual perspective. And I'll just wrap up this comment with you start your, your what are your pr- uh, priorities in life? Well, it's spiritual. The most important things in life are spiritual in this order, your health. So you got to be exercising, Jason Clark. And then followed by those who you love, your your spouse and your family. Then finally, your career. It's that order, spirituality, your health and, and exercise, those you love, and finally, your career or how you're making money, blunt terms. It's not about your job. There's a, I'm reading a book now I just put out there in Choose FI on Die Broke. Um, Die Broke is a book with the, by Stephen Pollan. It's roughly 30 years old. But I get new pearls of wisdom from it. And he, he's all about you just work to, to make the money so you can enjoy the life you want. Forget your career. Forget your what the job offers. And this isn't what employers want to hear. But where I worked at for 30 years with little recognition, I came to realize it after 10 or 12 years when I saw the, the ceiling and how hiring was to go in, in, in terms. And you just work to enjoy. That is, you work for the salary. Do your best, enjoy your work, but realize it's all about your freedom, your financial freedom. And that's where you really enjoy life is when you retire and you have the freedom to do what you want to do with with enough funds uh, that you need. And, and importantly, Jason Clark, I look at my monthly budget. I take a compound interest formula, 6.7. What does that get me monthly? Some would say 39K per month pre-tax, 29K post-tax, if that makes sense to you. So, okay, can I live on 39 or 29K a month uh, plus income from rentals, et cetera? Do you follow that? Yep. In other words, the compound formula, what can you draw down at a conservative interest rate, say 5%? That's a 5%. I could, I could see 30K a month. And uh, can I live on that plus other income streams? And I, I won't even get into Social Security and Medicare premiums and all that nonsense that comes along in five years. That's, that's, they're going to tax me to death. RMDs and all that. I, I need to find new tax 
shelters and it's not found in, I'm maxing out on real estate. I know oil and gas doesn't really, that's a little sophisticated and it's probably just a loss of money. Charitable deductions, it seems to be the answer. I can talk to my mutual fund company and they can give me someone to talk to, but they'll push uh, bonds or charitable, charitable deductions looks to be the way to go. But the book died broke and I'm jumping around a little. It tells you to spend every dime and, and bounce the check to the undertaker when you die. <laughs> so in other words, spend all your money down so that and, and including the kids inheritance and give the kids money now so they can enjoy it uh, versus inheriting it. I think that's a good concept. Um, Start gifting it now, right? So that right. you don't reach that right. one, that eleven million or whatever it is. Yeah, girlfriend's son has sixty k in college debt. I'd like to help him, but he's not blood. <laughs> I probably will in, in you know in fifteen or so years if he doesn't have it paid off. I'll say, well, here, I don't need this. Take this money, pay off your debt. Do you and that's that's such own? a shame. Beg your pardon. Do you have children? No, I own? don't. And that goes back to that stay single concept. I do not have children of my own, and it's kind of. Unfortunate, but on the other hand, it's fortunate because divorce is 50% probability, and I would have likely fell into that category. I'm afraid. And <laughs> Calling it out. I know that. Yeah, I know that's kind of self-deprecating, but uh, rea- facts are facts. And um, okay, next question. <laughs> yeah. So, so Sam, I'm just I'm looking at I'm looking at this chart you sent over to us it, for, for yeah. our listeners. It's just a year that that's tracked his net worth every year, and so. Just bear with me for a second here. So you were you reached right. about five hundred thousand in ninety nine, right? And then maybe you got up, it looks like to about eight hundred or close to close to a million eight hundred nine hundred in two thousand one. And then w- when you had a little drop in the market there, you went from eight hundred to five hundred right. two thousand three. And then right. 2004 to 2008, that's when you first passed million. So you passed million in about two thousand seven six seven. You got up to about, I don't know, 1.2 or something in 2008. Right. 2009, it looks like you lost 400,000 and dipped down to 800. And when we say lose, uh, let me pr- qualify yeah, that with yeah, on paper. Right. Paper yeah, losses, yeah, yeah. but continue. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. Paper losses, not lo- not hard losses. Go ahead. Right. You're right. And then, so 2009, you had about 800. And now in 2019, you're up to about. 6.57, and that doesn't include your real estate. So realistically, you're what eight, nine, ten. Uh, I wouldn't be a ten. That? Wouldn't be a nine. This is this is Northwest Virginia and Western Pennsylvania. So real estate is not unless you're in you know the the million dollar club uh, for your owner home ownership. Properties aren't what you guys would see in New York City or Seattle yeah. or Austin. We'll just we'll just say a modest 150, 250, 350k is the property values. Uh, and these are older homes. So, yeah, uh, I would say, you know, seven and a half, eight is is a fair way to look at it. Yeah. So even let's just call it eight. So, OK, do you ever think about hanging it up and selling all these market Great investments? Great question. Do you, do you say, look, in, in 2011, I was at a million. Now I'm at seven or eight. Right. Should I buy a bigger cash flowing property and just live off the cash flow? Should I just hold cash and withdraw at three or four percent a year? Or right. do you worry about the market correcting with all this money right. in the market? Right. Uh, and that's the thing about and there's a lot of questions you asked there, but I'll try to be brief and try to be tight I know. on it. I know. Sorry, uh, sorry. And that's good stuff you ask. Um, I would the money has to is is paper money. You can't because we're we're set up for a hard correction. I look at charts. And we're kind of by hard correction. I simply mean a good, healthy five or ten percent. And the rule of thumb is five or ten percent corrections two or three times a year. And we haven't seen that lately. But 
that's that's fine. Uh, maybe that's credit goes to the president. Who knows? But no, no, I won't go to politics. Forgive me. But uh, I am. Um, <laughs> hey, I, um, he tweeted. He tweeted out today how everybody was liking their four hundred one k balances. Yeah, but yeah. he put his initial tweet was like four hundred nine k. It's pretty. Funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now you, Jace, and I, there was a lot of questions. One that you initially brought up there on the chart on my my uh, that first twenty years is the hardest years to get that first mill. And uh, that's reflected there on in front of your eyes, and uh, that's the hardest time. Then it, it starts to it starts to accumulate through the law of compounding, uh, just in from the stock market and so on. Your real estate is what you're living on uh, for extra things, you know, your vehicles, etc. What you got to buy. But if you can create income streams, not everybody's cut out for real estate, and that's fine. I I wouldn't wish it on anybody unless they have a a, a strong backbone. But then. It starts building, and that chart reflects the the recessions that we saw in 2002 and 07, 08, as well as 1987. There's a trickle there, but that's when I was starting out. I will sell the properties because I'm not getting any younger. But here's where I am presently. I want to examine the way the properties affect my taxes because I I don't do – I don't have taxes taken out. I pay quarterlies, and I'm retired, but I – I would minimize taxes with my W-4, and that way I have more money, as most people know in this rule. You don't give the IRS money that you don't have to. You pay them later. And so I always cut the IRS a check and the state, but I also have to pay quarterlies now and so on. So I do pay a little penalty. But the point of that is um, I want to see how the properties will marry up going forward with the next 10 years. The best 10 years are age 60 to age 70, I think. And I would love to free up time by selling a property or two that I don't need. So that's where I'm at. I don't have a decision. I've talked to my girlfriend. I said, look, if I didn't have this property, it wouldn't really matter that much. And so that immediately tells me, well, you know, let it go at this point. I've owned it for 30 years or 20 years. I've wringed out most of the depreciation from it, et cetera. Let's just let it go. So that's kind of where I am. So yeah, um, you want to be have free time. You want to be able to Enjoy yourself, travel to Europe, all over, and and properties won't let you do that unless you have your kids looking after them or you're passing them on to kids uh, and family, and that's a good way to go. But um, it's so yeah. I, I, in my case, I'll probably sell them down and uh, and look at other options such as qualified charitable deductions, etc. Continue on, you guys. You, you hopefully I've answered a little bit of that. Yeah, Sam, I got, I got an interesting question. You know, is is our listeners, some of them are approaching, you know, retirement age in this country, deemed retirement age. You know, we've got a couple things looming in regards to RMDs and we just have the security mm-hmm. pass and whatnot. Is that something that you're thinking about? And if so, are you planning around that or how are you planning around that? Great question. Probably they're all good questions. They, they get better all the time from your, your script there. I say that in jest, but yeah, RMDs bother me because um, that's a shoot. I'm just going to have to cut a check to the IRS. Annuities come up. I, I'm not one for life insurance products at all, but I, in the book that I broke, ta- he talks about in your 70s, get a fixed income annuity uh, to cover a fixed cost, a fixed premium annuity that will give you monthly income to cover fixed costs. So that's I mentioned that because I um, would like to find the RMD is going to be a monster. The the Medicare premiums are going to go up. The means testing is going to bite me and all that. I don't know about you know marriage probably to help her so she could be under my insurance and um, that would um, perhaps help me 
married filing jointly, but RMDs are a factor uh, and they're going to be unforgiving. I don't know if I'll have any good write-offs against that. There's the Roth IRA. I have dollars there, the traditional IRA, and I encourage all your listeners to have the 401k or the the, the, the other 401 versions, uh, as well as a personal Roth and a personal trad, traditional, to fill those. And starting out all over again, I would probably say I'd probably have gone Roth. I did Roth one year with my job, and I, I felt like I was taxed twice. I didn't have a good feeling about uh, my employer do- donating to a Roth, that is contributing to a Roth through my employer, because the tax bite just hurt. However, it is tax-free later, but the personal Roth with after-tax money, you can fill that at 6K a year, and that's a good thing. So I like that. So I still have a lot of trad traditional that's going to be tax-deferred that'll be taxed, as well as the RMDs you mentioned. So hmm. yeah, I've got, uh, do I have an accountant? Uh, I'm looking around, but uh, you know, at 150 an hour, I'll just you just want to pay by the hour. You don't want to get somebody to take a percentage of your net worth, no way, no how, in this estate planning or, or in tax accountants or anybody, you um, financial planners either. I just want to get in a smart accountant or two to talk to me about which way to go. And the, there's not too many corners you can go into to, to beat the IRS is what I'm seeing. Yeah, to answer your question, I'm just going to have to foot the bill, but uh, maybe QCDs, Qualified Charitable Deductions, is my only outlet so far. But uh, there's a lot of people out there that have other ideas and suggestions too. So I'm always anxious to know about that. Maybe you guys have a thought or two. Anything? Yeah, you- I was just going to say good for you. It seems like you stay up to date on all this. Try to. Seems like you're, you really research your options. The soft tech software that I use uh, is, is great stuff. It, it helps, but then there's a lot of reading, a lot of stories, articles to read, etc. Can't say enough about that. Uh, I, I, most importantly, I attend these workshops locally, the retirement workshops. And uh, they can be on taxes, they can be on estate planning, elder law, etc. As much free stuff out there as you can, that's where I spend my free time also when I can find them. And I, and I attend one or two a month. Please yes. continue. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do for health care? I'm just curious. Oh, yeah, my, I do have a great question. I have my health insurance for my job. I pay those premiums monthly. That's So I have the, the uh, typical health coverage or health insurance coverage through my employer, and it's in, it stays in effect as long as I'm alive since I retired. I retired roughly three years ago, and I kept my insurance intact, as anybody would, and that's that's what I go to, if that answers your question. Yeah, and what about when you lose it? Well, you wouldn't lose it in my case through my employer. You're, as long as you pay the premiums, you're in. Oh, you have right. an open okay. season. You can you can you have an open season. You can look around and choose a different one, such as your Aetna's, your Blue Cross Blue Shields. I have GEHA, incidentally, and and um, I like those. But uh, yeah, my girlfriend, on the other hand, she would lose hers, and she would have to go in the market. My sister in Buffalo lost fifteen hundred a month for the family out of her pocket, is what she was looking mm-hmm. at. Now it's a little less, and I'd always cringed at that. But since she was a school teacher in New York State, and once you retire, you you've got to go out on the market and look. So I don't know, have that situation. I, I was able to retain insurance coverage for my employer. So, Sam, just before we wrap up here, I want mm-hmm. to finish with some rapid-fire questions. Mm-hmm. So just uh, uh, some quick yes or no or a couple-word answers mm-hmm. here. Have you ever used a financial advisor? Short answer, yes, but it not. they were free. They were part of the mutual fund company that offers it when your net worth reaches a certain level. So short answer, yes. Um, but uh, it was a 45-minute conversation. 
etc. It wasn't on a steady basis. Sure. But I, I'm, I, you know, it might be money well spent. Yeah. Uh, how much do you spend a year? Household spending. Uh, and I'm a real normal guy. Uh, I household spending. I, and I and I can't assess this or stress this enough. Before you retire, do a lot of dry runs on what your monthly budget will be, income and outgo. And I must have did about a dozen or 15 runs before I said, all right, I submitted my papers to get out of there. And uh, so that monthly budget was, I'll say, uh, I could, it would be around 10 to 15K a month, uh, which that was on the high side. So uh, it could be 5 to 7K. My, I put everything on a credit card, and this month's credit card will be 7K, and that's everything from A to Z. Uh, so, but it's and it's gone up since retirement because of the monthly draw, as you guys can tell or assess what I'm what I'm capable of bringing in on a monthly, it's comfortable. So you just put it on the credit card, pay it off, and you get that cash back and buy books at Amazon and just brick <laughs> rack on Amazon. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> okay, and then as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of of household income through your working life? Oh, very good. Uh, I once had a, an interview with a, an outfit that was young called Wealth Lion, and I wrote down 90K at that point. And they were amazed because they said, well, somebody can actually make a million dollars on a 90K salary. And I said, sure, you can. In Brian Tracy's book, you can make 50K salary and be a millionaire. And if you keep everything in range, as the Greeks said, all things in moderation, you can live quite nice uh, on that. So my salary was never more than 90k with the job, but then on the side incomes, maybe tw- maybe double that. Yeah. So. And, and the side incomes more than just the real estate. Just real estate, but then if I could make a buck here or there, uh, when I was younger, uh, aside from the real estate, I did all kinds of odd jobs and uh, knocking on doors and. And I looked at uh, the A.L. Williams story. Some guys out there are going to be laughing at that, but that wasn't too productive. That was insurance and financial planning, but I was into it uh, at that point. So, yeah, um, a lot of work on the side. Any side hustle you can get, it's all time well spent. Just keep your priorities focused, as I said, spiritual, uh, health, your loved ones, and then your your money. So continue on listening. Yeah, really, really good advice. So what do you, what's worth spending more money on to you or what do you kind of splurge on? Well, I like travel now. Um, and then I just had, I hit a deer and totaled my Tacoma and uh, in the millionaire next door, the most common vehicle that the those people owned in the interviews were to, Toyotas. And and uh, I'm a third, third time truck, Tacoma truck guy. So I hit a deer, so I had to spend 42K cash on a new oh. truck and um, gladly did it. I just wish I'd carry the rental car insurance, the rental car uh, rider on the uh, insurance that I had because I had to throw 500 at a rental car. But yeah, 42K, as I mentioned, the vehicle is the most expensive thing. And I'll probably buy, I want to, I might buy a new house, even though we've been there for a few years, we're quite happy, but I might step it up a notch or two. But she, she talks about too many square foot, too much square footage. She said, we have enough now at 4,000 or 2,500 square feet. She wouldn't want anything bigger than that, but I would. She says, just get it on the frills of the amenities, uh, more uh, up upscale or upgraded amenities, if you will. Yeah, uh, countertops and all, even better than what we have, um, and so on. So yeah, the car and the a newer house and the travel. Uh, other than that, I'm pretty much an average guy. So just, I mean, first of all, on the on the car, something Jace just said, you could buy a couple Lamborghinis here, and it probably wouldn't even make much of a dent in your net worth, right? Yeah, I can't think like that. Millionaires uh, <laughs> came the, the long way, 
that's fast money. And if you win the lottery or if you inherit it or if you're from, uh, you know, an ultra rich family or you're nouveau rich, as they say, or celebrity or athlete professional. Yeah, that's the way to go. But when you're long term to get there, like the chart shows you on my net worth, uh, you don't think about that. <laughs> I yeah. could, but yeah. but uh, no, no, there'll probably totally. be a day when I wish I would have. Yeah. But do you fly um, first class when you travel? A good question. I'm tempted to go upgrades, but I'm still old school. You can't break the habits that got you there yeah. uh, easily, uh, and so I still go coach and all that. Uh, but uh, I'm tempted to upgrade. But is it worth it to me? That's the key question. Are the benefits greater than the cost? Is it worth it to me? What is gained from that transaction? Um. So there's a lot of so, I live by quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just, just I guess, last question here. As we talk about this whole thing, right, you seem like the millionaire next door type of guy, right? Mm-hmm. You're pretty frugal. You spend where you want to on travel and these sort of things. If your net worth keeps growing and the market right. keeps going up, obviously right. there'll be dips along the way. And, and right. maybe at some point you'll lose 30%. Correct. What do you spend all this money on? Ah, where, where does it uh, all go? That's the hardest question. You've asked a lot of great questions. That's now you I'm, saving, the I'm one. saving it for last. There's nobody – yeah. Uh, I wish the folks were around. I would put it uh, in front of them. I give them some nice things, but they've been gone for many years. I don't have a good answer. A travel. I think travel to Europe to travel more to get her out of her job, but she's only 52 and uh, she can't get her pension till she's 67. So I'll probably say, honey, just stop. And then I'll uh, take on her as a partner more financially too, or I'll be footing the bill for her, which is fine. So travel. I like that. To some degree, it's, it's you know, and everything gets old. Uh, maybe I don't need more than one vehicle. It's all about keeping your overhead low. I would probably spend it, I would probably throw a nice party for friends. And that's the thing you want to do. If you, the, those who are about to die say they wish they would have spent more time with their friends and loved ones, not worry about what people thought. So I guess I would probably just have a big time with a lot of friends, maybe travel somewhere, et cetera, good friends, uh, true friends over the years at least try to. But then I'd probably look at, uh, you know, where the money could be better spent. I wouldn't go to United Way. I wouldn't go to the church necessarily, uh, but I would put it in someone who truly needed it. And God would send you in that right direction. You know, where could the money best be spent? That's called soul searching. And you would have to look around where the money could best be applied for the better good and not just to put it out there to, um, it's best done and honestly, I suppose, but not for notoriety or to be noticed but who could really benefit from it? Uh, uh, people who have who are good people, I think. So, yeah, it's going to grow, and um, she would be the beneficiary. But uh, I haven't uh, came to answers to those questions. I'm still just a young sixty. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. <laughs> Got to get the will ready. Do people know? Do people know of your net worth? People, oh hell no! Friends, that's that's the great question. You never advertise that. Uh, a lot of young people I see on Facebook throw out what their nickels and dimes are, but no, you never let old money never talks about that. And I'm not old money at all. But people often, the key point, people often, when they see you, they'll say, well, there's the $5 million man or there's a $2 million woman. And that's all they'll think about in some respects. Now, that's arguable. But uh, I know if, if you told me you're worth $8 million, every day I see you from the rest of my life, I'm going to remember that. So, right, And that just right. breeds envy, possibly, uh, unless you're with like-minded people worth that much. They'll always be coming uh, looking at that aspect, so you never let out your your net worth. Well, I hope I hope they don't hear <laughs> you on here. <laughs> but hey, Sam, we're appreciative of your time. We've taken enough of it, so just thanks yeah. again. A, an amazing story, very inspiring. Net worth of oh. seven million. Thank you so much for for coming oh. on and, and well, sharing your story. You. 
Thank you very much. I, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. You guys are, are going to be super successful if you're not already. And best of luck with Millionaire Unveiled. Uh, I'm a true follower. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Uh Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.